Hey, my name is Fernie, and I want to welcome you to this episode of the Mid-City Church Sermon Cast. And we are in week three of our Truth series, in which we look at the book of Ruth and try to uh, find some truths out of every chapter. So I'm glad you're here. It should be a fun one. So get ready, because here we go. ever been so desperate that you were even willing to do the very things you knew you weren't supposed to? So my freshman year of college, I was invited to go to soccer tryouts. Now, I hadn't played soccer on an organized team for a couple of years, which meant that I was having a rough day at tryouts. I was a little bit rusty. And I was struggling to run certain drills, and, uh, and I knew that unless something turned around, I wouldn't be playing soccer my freshman year. But before I knew it, my luck started to change. So coach Harvey, our soccer coach, he rounded everyone up and he told us that we had two more things to do. The first was to run a 12-minute mile, and then after that, we were going to scrimmage, which uh, this was my perfect chance to shine. See, for starters, I knew that I could stand out during a scrimmage. I'm good at actually playing the game, and that's always what I felt more comfortable doing. See, from a young age, my dad taught me how to be a, a goalkeeper, and he taught me how to command the field and be vocal and lead my team from, from the goal. And uh, I know that I knew, I just knew that I would stand out during that scrimmage. And the 12-minute mile, while I can't do it now, as a college kid, that was no big deal. If you run, you know that that is a pretty average speed for a mile, and especially for a college student, right? So that was definitely doable. And so I knew my luck was starting to change. So Coach Harvey was giving us instructions, and he told us that we would be running around the main part of campus, which there was about a a one-mile track around campus. And then suddenly he looked at his watch and said, Go! So we all took off running in the same direction, and everyone was pretty much on pace for the first quarter of a mile. That's when separation started to take place. The faster guys got ahead, the slower guys got behind, and the average guys, which I was one of them, we we kind of interspersed in the middle between those two groups. So as I was running, well on track to finish under my time, I started thinking about how much I had struggled that day and how desperate I was to stand out before the day ended. In fact, I was so desperate that the perfect plan suddenly crossed my mind. See, at the time, it was typical for me to get up every morning and and run a mile. And uh, I had run that same route enough times that I knew where to go to avoid the hills and uh, what side had more shade. And uh, more importantly, I knew that um, I knew where I could take shortcuts to complete this mile. And that's exactly what I did. As we were reaching the halfway point on the run, I took a shortcut unnoticed. Nobody saw me. And then I jumped back in line. I caught up with everybody, with especially the faster runners, right as they were making the last turn towards the soccer field. They didn't see me join them, and the people behind me didn't see me leave the path. That was the best thing. Nobody saw me cut through campus, and more importantly, uh, coach didn't see me cut through campus. And it couldn't have worked out any more perfectly, which was great because, like I said, I was desperate to stand out. And look, before you judge me, just know that it must have worked because I ended up on the team. So I don't regret doing what I did. But in all seriousness, 
I got word last week that Coach Harvey passed away, which is such a major loss to the the soccer world, especially in Oklahoma City. And so, uh, Coach, I know you are in heaven, and I know uh, if you could, you would make me run another, another mile right now, now that you know what I did back then. But I just want to take a moment to thank Coach Harvey for giving me a chance to play and, and for the many lives that he changed, uh, and the people's lives that he changed. So... You know, it's, it's interesting, uh, the reason I bring all this up, it's interesting, the things we are willing to do when we're desperate, right? I mean, I would have never cheat, I would never cheat on a run like I did that day, especially a run as easy as one mile. But in my desperation to stand out, I did what I wouldn't otherwise do. What about you? Have you ever been so desperate that you were willing to do what you knew you shouldn't or you otherwise wouldn't? This sense of desperation is at the center of this third chapter of Ruth. Listen to what it says. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shouldn't I seek security for you so that things might go well for you? Now, isn't Boaz, whose young women you are with, our relative? Tonight he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. You should bathe, put on some perfume, wear nice clothes, and then go down to the threshing floor. Don't make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, notice the place where he is lying. Then go uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Ruth replied to her, I'll do everything you are telling me. So Ruth went down to the threshing floor, and she did everything just as her mother-in-law had ordered. Boaz ate and drank, and he was in a good mood. He went over to lie down by the edge of the uh, great pile, grain pile. Then she quietly approached uncovered his feet, and lay down. During the middle of the night, the man shuddered and turned over, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. She replied, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread out your robe over your servant, because you are my redeemer. He said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have acted even more faithfully than you did at first. You haven't gone after rich or poor young men. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I'll do for you everything you are asking. Indeed, my people, all who are at the gate, uh, they will know that you are a woman of worth. Now, although it's certainly true that I'm a redeemer, there's a redeemer who is closer relative than I am. Stay the night, and in the morning, if he'll redeem you, good, let him redeem. But if he doesn't want to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I myself will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, then she got up before one person could recognize another, for he had said no one should know that the woman came to the threshing floor. He said, bring the cloak that you have on and hold it out. She held it out, and he measured out six measures of barley and placed it on her. Then she went into town. She came to her mother-in-law, who said, how are you, my daughter? So Ruth told her everything the man had done for her. She said, he gave me these six measures of barley, for he said to me, don't go away empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Sit tight, my daughter, Naomi replied, until you know how it turns out. The man won't rest until he resolves the matter today. So let me recap the truths we've covered so far before we jump into this week's truths. In chapter one, we found out that Naomi had a husband named Elimelech and two sons. Suddenly there was a famine in Bethlehem where they lived and the whole family decided to move to Moab where there was food. And, and it was here that the children got married, but very quickly into the story, I mean, literally a couple verses into the story, we find out that her two sons die and also her husband Elimelech and uh, Naomi is left with no other option but to return home to Bethlehem. And as she prepares to return home, Naomi blesses her daughters-in-law. And this is where we find our first truth. 
Naomi prays God's hesed, or in English we say God's blessing, over her daughters-in-law. And this blessing, it was an acknowledgement and a reminder to us that even when we face unsurmountable struggles, God is able to prevail over them. God is always able to prevail. And that's our first truth, that God will always prevail. So in chapter two, where our second truth, um, we talked about uh, where when um, we wrestled with the question about, does God help those who are good and punish those who are bad? Now, the truth we ended up with was that God does not intervene in such a way that good stuff happens to good people and bad stuff happens to bad people. That's just not who God is. God is, however, a faithful God who promises to be with us at all times and in the face of all things. So instead of striving to be good in order to avoid bad things, we must remind ourselves that God is faithful through all things. The third truth we're going to talk, uh, we're going to go over today is this. Even when we feel most desperate, God is still in control. Let me say that one more time. The truth for this week is this. Even when we feel most desperate, God is still in control. So let me explain. Ruth and Naomi are getting pretty desperate in this story. In fact, if you pay attention to the different harvest seasons that take place in these first uh, chapters, we get the sense that about a year has passed from the very beginning. That's a whole year of them relying on leftover crops. That's a whole year of Ruth having to find uh, protection among the other women. That's a whole year of Ruth and Naomi depending on the generosity of others in order to have their basic needs met. Now, I don't know if you have ever experienced that kind of poverty or need. I know that I haven't had it to that extreme, but I can only imagine how difficult it must be to rely on other people for your basic human needs. I can only imagine what it's like having to walk on eggshells, right? Keeping people happy because your well-being depends on uh, them being in good graces or you being in good graces with them. I can only imagine the times that Ruth wanted to take a break or not work or just change her daily routine, but she was unable to because she needed to provide for her and Naomi. The bottom line is that they were desperate, and that's when Naomi comes up with the perfect plan. I want you to listen once again to the instructions that she gives Ruth. She says, tonight, he, speaking of Boaz, will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. You should bathe, put on perfume, Wear nice clothes and then go down to the threshing floor. And don't make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, notice the place where he is lying. Then go uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. Now, without understanding certain historical traditions, the innuendos of the Hebrew language and context clues uh, of what of understanding those things, these instructions from Naomi seem like a very innocent set of instructions. And look, don't get me wrong. It's possible that Naomi asked Ruth exactly what we read here. Take a bath, uh, make yourself look uh, look good, give him food and drink, take off his shoes so that he can relax. He's probably had a long day. And then when he wakes up, just see what he does, right? So he hear me clearly before we move on. That scenario, that narrative is definitely a possibility. But many scholars believe that it's possible that more was happening here. Remember, they were desperate, and desperation leads to choices that otherwise wouldn't be made. That's true for all of us. So here's another possibility of what scholars believe could be happening in this third chapter of Ruth. 
First, it's important to note that the instructions that Naomi gives Ruth regarding her bathing, uh, putting on perfume and wearing nice clothes, these instructions are pretty similar to the book of Ezekiel in chapter 16, which is, uh, we're told what the Israelites are supposed to do in preparation for their wedding, uh, wedding to God. So the first clue that there's more happening here is that Naomi is asking Ruth to do the very things that one would do in preparation for a wedding. In other words, right off the bat, we get the sense that in a way, uh, Ruth is supposed to uh, propose to Boaz that night, that she's supposed to make herself available to Boaz. But that's just the beginning of the things we need to pay attention to. So Naomi then tells Ruth to, to uh, show up at night after Boaz has done eating and drinking. Again, scholars find this very interesting. On the one hand, Naomi could be telling Ruth to not interrupt Boaz's dinner because that would just be rude or don't not interrupt him while he's working. But on the other hand, some scholars argue that maybe Naomi sent Ruth at night so that she could hide in the darkness and not be caught, not be seen by others. But also because it's possible that after eating and drinking, Boaz would be happy and perhaps a little drunk. Remember, water and soda wasn't uh, a thing back then. Water wasn't as common. Uh, wine was what most people drank. So it's possible that after dinner, uh, Boaz would be uh, you know, full and he would be drunk which would make the next request even more scandalous. See, Naomi instructs Ruth to uncover Boaz's feet once he lays down and then to lie down at his feet. Uh, and this is the most interesting instruction of them all. See, while our English translated Bibles say that Ruth is to uncover Boaz's feet, and I will say some English Bibles now say something different, the original Hebrew language says something that is completely different. I want you to listen to what uh, Dr. Catherine Dube Sackenfeld, who is a professor of Old Testament and exegesis at Princeton Theological Seminary, has to say about this. She says the term translated feet by the NRSV and uh, CEB in, in some extent is not the usual word, but a less common synonym better taken as legs. Nonetheless, the possible connotation of genitalia, for which the ordinary word for feet is sometimes a euphemism, hovers near at hand. Likewise, the verb to uncover used here appears in idioms referring to sexual relations. The overtones of a possible sexual encounter are heard also in the verb lie down, which can literally mean to lie down, including lying down to go to sleep, but also in certain constructions to sleep with or having sexual relations with. In other words, the original language points to the possibility that Naomi tells Ruth to put herself in a position where she basically offers to sleep with Boaz, to have a sexual relation with Boaz. Now, this is important because legally, if Boaz had slept with Ruth, he would be forced to marry her and therefore provide for her and Naomi. And in the end, no matter how wrong uh, you may think Ruth's actions may be, this means that their needs will be met and that they'll never have to struggle again or work for food again, right? After all, you have to remember, they're probably desperate enough to do the very things they knew they weren't supposed to in order to have their needs met. Now, let me be very clear. At no point in this chapter are we explicitly told that Ruth and Boaz actually had sexual relations at the thrashing floor. That's not what I'm saying. That It's not a black and white thing. But I just want you to understand that the original language does imply that Naomi was potentially desperate enough to ask Ruth to be willing to go that far. And, on top, uh, and to top things off, Ruth agreed to go along with it. See, that's how desperate they were. 
desperate enough to do the very things they knew they weren't supposed to do, the things they wouldn't do otherwise. So at the end of the chapter, we find out from Boaz that he is willing to be uh, Ruth's redeemer and Naomi's redeemer by default. Uh, and in other words, he was willing to take care of them. But legally, there is one more next of kin who has to first be informed uh, about, about the situation. And if that person is willing to care for them first, then great. And if not, then he's willing to take care of Ruth and Naomi. And that's where our chapter ends. Ruth goes home to Naomi and Boaz prepares to have a conversation with the next of kin. And you'll have to uh, tune in next week to find out what happens there. But for now, here's the truth I want you to listen to. No matter how difficult life may get... No matter how dark it may feel, no matter how desperate you may get, you always have options. See, Ruth and Naomi thought that the only way to provide for themselves was by potentially tricking or persuading Boaz to take care of them. And because of that, they got desperate enough to potentially do the very things they otherwise wouldn't do without uh, desperation. But the good news of this chapter is that when we thought that they were out of options, when they thought that they just had nowhere else to turn, they realized that they actually had plenty of options. All they needed to do was ask for help. Friends, here's my challenge for you and the truth that I want you to hear. Do you feel like you're running out of options? Do you feel like you have no other choice than to do the very things you know you shouldn't because you want to pull yourself out of a difficult situation? Are you that desperate? I want to ask you and I want to challenge you to hold on. Before you act out of desperation, ask for help. Seek support. Let other people intervene on your behalf and to help you find options. You see, Boaz became that kind of support for Ruth and Naomi. And I know that you too have people in your life who can step up and be there for you to help you in your desperation. Friends, I don't want you to go down a path that you will regret. And we know when we go down those paths, right? Instead, I want to invite you, uh, uh, invite others into your life and into the struggle. And I promise you that whatever storm you may be facing, it will pass. But you have to reach out and ask for help and let people uh, give you the help that you need and are seeking for. It's so easy to just do the things that we know we shouldn't because we're desperate. But there are so many people out there willing to help. And I hope that that may be so for you today, tomorrow, and every day. May it be so. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Mid-City Church Sermon Cast. If you'd like to dive deeper, visit midcity.church slash sermoncast to find a home sheet that goes along with this message. On the home sheet, you'll find scriptures, questions to wrestle with, and a challenge that goes along with this sermon cast. I want to invite you to support our ministry here at Mid-City Church by giving today. To give, text the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to the phone number 225-307-0662. Thanks and see you next week.